You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Hey, before we jump in, last week we started a series, uh, Joyride, and we were talking about restoring the joy of the journey, uh, getting back to that place where serving and living the journey of God uh, is exciting again. Sometimes it gets old, it gets rusty, and uh, sometimes you just need to kind of blow the dust out of the, of the cracks and the holes and uh, see what you got. And, uh, and what you uncover is uh, really something that's quite different than what we've been riding and living. Uh, last week, I showed some pictures of restra- uh, restored cars. I found a few more. So let's take a look at these. I thought these were cool. Um, some more. Uh, go ahead and th- throw these up. With Cutting off the one on the top It's pretty sweet. Uh, I particularly like the one in the middle. I think that's sweet. Here's a couple more. Um, go ahead and hit the next one. The one at the top, uh, good old. Trans Am, <laughs> the vehicle, the coveted 80s vehicle that is, uh, well, it's just, it's kind of, I always wanted a Trans Am, and now I think they're just kind of dumb. Uh, did somebody say awesome? Sorry, no offense, no offense. I actually had a 76 Chevy Nova in high school, uh, in a, yeah, until I wrecked it. Um, all right, here, I think we got one more. Uh, yeah, let's just leave it there for a second. Uh, restoring the joy of the journey begins with going back to a place of purpose. Cause when we discover the life that God intended for us to have life makes a lot more sense, a lot more purpose filled. And uh, we've got a couple of friends of ours, um, that they live a purpose filled life doing ministry in Mexico. So I'm going to ask Tynan and Lydia to come down. And if your son wants to join you, you can, I know your other kids went on in the kid venture. But um, if you guys want to step back here to this microphone, and uh, here's kind of how I know these guys. First of all, Tynan used to be in our youth group, and then when he started dating this this sweet girl, she started coming to our youth group, and uh, we did some mission work together when we were teenage, when they were teenagers and young adults, and um, and since then they've gone on to be in ministry. They've traveled the world. They've gone to different places in ministry, and they have a new exciting experience uh, that they're going to moving be moving into this fall. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Good morning, Lifeway. Thank living you, Ted. Way. A living way. It's okay. Thank you, Ted. I just gained two minutes because you stole my first introduction. That's yes. okay. All right. I guess you have nothing to say. All right, Tiny. I have, you have a no, lot to say. <laughs> I got the download this morning from Jesus. Okay. It's good to be here today. I'm Lydia Barnes, and this is my husband, Tynan. We have four children, Talon, Evelyn, Hayden, and Gideon. And we are blessed to be a part of what uh, you're doing here and so blessed to worship with you this morning. Um, When Tynan was younger, about five years old, he really felt the call in his life to preach, to get married and have children. And um, he's pretty much accomplished that. But uh, when I was younger, when I was eight years old in 1987, we had a pastor come through and a missionary speaking about the Aborigines. And this particular group was... uh, speaking about a, a people group in the Amazon, and the Amazon, they pierced sticks through their noses and lived in huts, and I just felt at such a young age that I was like, I have to go hug those people. I have to tell them about Jesus, and um, so I lived, lived my life, and real, uh, God really sent me back to what he had called me to do in high school, and so through college, I went to Christ for the Nations, where Tynan went also. 
and graduated there and really pursued the call of missions in my life. And God's so great. He never shows us one step in front of the other. He just calls us to be the light, to shine the light in front and then take that step. And even as early as this morning, he's still connecting the dots for us. And um, my son, my youngest woke up early and I just couldn't go back to sleep. I was just thinking, Lord, you know, we're called to uh, missions and am I really, you know, just wanting to know if I'm really, really on the right track here with this. And he keeps showing us he is. And um, he told me to look up Aboriginal. Most of the area that that missionary had spoke about in the Amazon is largely reached and widely reached. And um, so I looked up Aboriginal and it means inhabit human races inhabiting or existing in a land from the earliest times or before the arrival of colonists. Or it means indigenous. And our whole ministry is to the indigenous people of Mexico. And for me, that was just a thrill in my, some wind in my sails this morning that I've been called to an Aboriginal group, to an indigenous group since I was a young age. And he still reminds us that he's still got us on this journey. And it just brought joy back to the journey. I know it sounds cliche. Uh, but the name of the organization that you are, uh, in case they didn't catch it, the name, what's the name of the organization you're with? We're with World Indigenous Missions. And yeah. our vision is to plant indigenous churches. And that's where Tynan's going to talk to you now. Okay. What is it? What is oh, Go ahead. You have your thing where you're going to say and then I'll ask yes. you some questions. <laughs> um, I'm Tynan. That is pronounced Tynan, T-Y-N-A-N. <laughs> That's very different. That's fine. If you can't get that, Felipe is fine. That is my middle name, Philip. In Spanish, they call me Felipe. But uh, God had called us to do indigenous church planting. Like Lydia told you that I was called as a young man uh, from the uh, Don't mind me. Keep talking. plains of Kansas. And God would actually speak to me. And I didn't know it was, like, it was him. It was like the Samuel experience. You know, I'd hear my name called out in the uh, wheat fields in Kansas. I'd come running in and say, Mom, did you call me? And she would say, no, go play or go clean your room. That would be better. And so this would happen all through. And, you know, just like Lydia had, she was the Lord was connecting those dots for her that right there, aboriginal, indigenous. God has called us to plant indigenous churches among a tough, resistant people group in Michoacan, Mexico. They're so tough and resistant that Cortez never conquered them. They were never conquered by the Aztecs or the Incans. They, they had an advanced metallurgy. They coppersmiths, you could call them as well. They were so fierce that they were never really rivaled until the Catholics came in. And the only way that they were, you know, technically conquered is by intermingling the Catholic belief in with their animistic belief, their witchcraft. So even today, they still feel very, very bitter about Cortez from the 1500s. So much so that when they were building the chapels and cathedrals for the Catholics, when they would make the altars, they would, they would uh, carve out their gods, and then they would overlay it with the Catholic um, saints and those who they pray to. So they knew when they came to the altar, they knew who they were praying to, the idol within, the God within whom they have created. So we are reaching these tough, resistant people group for the name of Jesus Christ. It's not easy, but with God, all things are possible. And he's called us to go. 
And that's all we can do is obey and listen to what he has called us to do is to go. We do have a video. It'll be shown shortly. But it's showing you a place in the Sierra Madre mountain range with people who have never heard the gospel even once. Many of them have heard only the Catholic version. They have not heard about grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, and ultimately the judgment that is to come. Thank you for listening to me. (laughs) And uh, we are with World Indigenous Missions, and our heart and our goal is to disciple, win, disciple, and send people. So when we plant indigenous churches, we're not just there to be the Western church. It is to make them self-reliant upon God and God alone, not upon the Western church. That way they can grow and they can send out their own missionaries. Yeah, the way the uh, World Indigenous Missions, you can uh, clarify, is, is that when they go in, is that they, they, they lead and empower the indigenous people. That's people right. that are there to, to, to lead the churches. You just kind of come along behind uh, the indigenous people and train and equip and empower them. So it's not a bunch of uh, American people or gringos or white people coming in and, uh, you know, heading up churches. Uh, we're just we're just being agents, a world indigenous. This couple here, they're just being agents of, of service to, to those that might hear and to the to the struggling pastors and preachers and teachers in those areas where where. I mean, uh, a lot of those pastors have never been to, to Bible school, uh, barely have a Bible in their own translation. I went on a mission trip a few years ago, and, and one of the elders in the church where I stayed at, he'd been an elder for seven years at the church, never read the Bible once because it's not in his language. He uh, speaks a, 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 a tribal language that's not Mexican. And, uh, and here's, that's kind of common out there. There's, they need help. They need training. They need encouragement. They need, they need people like, like World Indigenous Missions and, and this couple feels called. They've been preparing for almost a year. Yes. Uh, they've been like going through like, uh, you know, Spanish language boot camp. And, uh, so they, they are hardcore. They've, they've sold everything. Now they've done other mission work and traveled in other places. But at this season of their life, they feel like the Lord has called them to sell everything and move to Mexico. And, uh, they're going with the long-term goal of this is where God has us for the rest of our life. So I love that attitude, love that heart. And uh, I don't know if you count this earlier, but uh, these guys were in my youth group, so I'm pretty proud of them. Uh, so uh, we're going to get a chance to, to know a little bit more about them in the future. We're going to mention them in a little bit later today. But uh, you want to set up this video? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. You're about to see me on the big screen. First Good. time. Take that, Holly Weird. But uh, just a little recap, Um, I went on my very first mission trip to Peru in uh, South America with Ted, and it was because of this mission trip that God had laid upon our hearts. My goal was to travel the world. God had another idea for me, and because of the faithfulness of uh, the Paradigm Youth Ministries that Ted was a part of, and as my youth pastor, I was able to go and experience God in a way that I had never experienced before. So when it comes to missions, you are the missing piece. Get out of your comfort zone here in America. If you have an opportunity to go travel the world and preach Jesus, to share the love of Jesus Christ with somebody, do it. It will change your life forever. Mm -hmm. And you're about to see some people that have never heard the gospel once. You're about to see a location that many of the places are so remote that we have to get on horseback or a 4 by 4 just to get there because there's literally no paved roads or roads whatsoever. So 
Thanks. We'll talk to you more, more in a little bit. Love you. Go ahead.
in uh, the book of Matthew, when Jesus called the disciples together, uh, when he first started, he went up to Peter and he said, come and I will make you fishers of men. Now he was speaking in the language that they could understand because these guys that he were talking to at the time, they were fishermen. They were casting their nets, drawing in the fish. And Jesus said, you know, you're fishing for fish right now, but if you will come and walk with me and follow me and, and live a life that is with me, you will catch people. He says, literally, you will draw people in. People will be drawn into the message. Every believer has been given a message. It says this in Mark 16, 15. He said, he said to them, go. This is what he told his disciples. His life had come uh, here on earth. His first uh, mission here uh, was accomplished. He is to return again. Uh, but just before he ascended, he began to tell his disciples their mission, their plan. He gave us. If you are a follower of Christ, you have a mission. If you're not a follower of Christ today, I just want to encourage you to buckle in because you're part of our mission. And we love you. We care for you. And, and if you ever do walk the line or cross the line, rather, to, to give your life to Christ, this is going to be a sense of purpose for you. Uh, Mark 16, he said to them, go. Everybody say go. Into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Now that word good news is the word where we, uh, have you ever heard the word gospel? If you've heard the word gospel, raise your hand. The gospel is not the name of a book in the Bible. You know, there's four gospels. Gospel, no, that's gospel means life changing life-altering, dynamic, great, good news. It's not just news that you read in the paper. And it's not just good news. Hey, half price on cantaloupes today. It's not just good. It's life-changing good news. He says, go to the world and preach this good, life-changing news. Well, what's this good news that he's talking about? That Jesus had rescued us, that he has broke off of us the shackles of sin and shame. That is the good news that though we were born into sin, the cross has made a way for us to be free from the shackles of sin and shame. That's the good news. In Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. He said, everybody say disciples. Now, when you hear the word disciples, you might think it means Christians or, or converts, but the word disciple means followers. He says, go and make followers, not converts. He didn't say go and get people to say a prayer, go and get people to sign a card, go and get people to raise their hand or walk an aisle, though that might be part of the first step. He says, what we've been called to do is to go tell the good news and help people to become followers disciples of Christ. He says, of all nations, no one is excluded. Baptizing them. The word baptize means to immerse them. God wants you baptized. Faith is not a personal thing. It's a public thing. And baptism is a public way of telling those around you that you belong to Jesus. He says, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. That means help them to mature. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this is our mission possible. Now, what you are about to receive is your mission. This is the mission that God has given us. Our 3D mission is this. Make followers 
and baptize them. That's what Jesus said. That means help people discover the hope and the healing of Christ. He says, teach them. That means help them to mature and develop maturity in their life. And he says, go into all the world and tell them the good news. That means to deploy. That means, see, in a living way, we have a 3D mission. I mean, it's coming right at you. And that is discover, develop, deploy. Everybody say go. Everybody say tell it. That is our mission, to help others discover, to help others develop maturity, and to deploy those. Now, if you are a follower of Christ, this is your mission. If you choose to accept it, life will be exciting, adventurous, and filled with purpose. See, a lot of us, we forgot the mission. And in and, and our life, if you are a Christian, it has become dull and predictable. Just once is fine. <laughs> Jesus lived this mission before he gave it. He was a he was great. In fact, this mission that he gave is recorded in all four of the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to focus on one passage today in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4 verse 34, he says, "My food says uh my food said Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work." He's talking about the Father. He says, Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? Well, I'll tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ripe for harvest now. Jesus is telling us there's an urgency in this mission. This isn't just a mission for tomorrow. This is a mission for today. There's a sense of dynamic urgency. How would you define urgency? Think about it. Maybe it's something you have to do now, something that demands your attention. What are you urgent about? Some of you, like for instance, for me, I've got an urgent issue at my house. I've been trying to fix my refrigerator all week long uh, and it's broke all five times that I fix it. I've got a hose that every time I repair it, this morning I put some silicone on, on one of the areas where I fixed and I had Summer, you know, push the button to get water and another hole in the hose popped out and shot me like a water gun right in my face, went down my shirt and across the kitchen. I'm like, oh, foiled. And uh, so that's an urgency to me. But this is bigger than a car problem, than a refrigerator repair or an issue of work. This is life and death because we live in a state of urgency. And what wins our time and our demands tends to take the energy that we have for urgency. We live one urgency after another. In order for us to grasp what Jesus is saying here, let's take a look at the story in John chapter four. Now, uh, start with verse one. It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So Jesus, you know, John the Baptist is who they're talking about. You know, he's out the Jordan River baptizing people by the thousands people now jesus and his disciples were drawing bigger crowds than john the baptist the pharisees the religious political guys they were like all like this jesus is getting more popular and they had enough problems with john now they got to deal with jesus and he says although in fact it was not jesus who baptized them but it was his disciples so he jesus so jesus left judea And went back once more to Galilee. So he heard about all the ruckus. And so he left. I want to tell you a little bit about this mission. A few things to understand about mission. Mission 
uh, possible, what it is not. First of all, our mission is not about a contest for converts. At this moment, Jesus was not interested in a convert contest with John the Baptist. When word got out that he was converting, uh, or not converting, but baptizing more people than John the Baptist, he wasn't like, come on, guys, let's up the number. Let's have five services now. Let's only take a break for lunch and then have another. Let's do this. Let's, you know, let's go into revival mode every night of the week because we are going to beat out John the Baptist. It wasn't some sort of contest. Well, he baptized 20. We need to do 30. Well, they had, you know, a thousand attendants. We need to have 2,000 attendants. Many churches see each other as competition. There's 6 million people in the DFW Metroplex. In Garland alone, there's 250,000 at least. That's plenty of people to reach who need to know the life-saving message of Christ. This was never about competing for people or showing off our accomplishments. The mission is not about filling seats but filling hearts. It's not about having a bigger production but providing direction. We're not interested in building a monument but inspiring a movement. And this is something we need to know that this mission is not about how many people can we pack in this auditorium. That's not what the mission is about. Number two, our mission is not about a political fight. It's not about politics or power. These religious leaders, the Pharisees, Jesus was not interested in in boycotting the Pharisees. He didn't immediately hit the radio and say, don't listen to the Pharisees. He He didn't take a stand on some Capitol building. He was not looking for a showdown with local leaders because he was about reaching people. The gospel is the mission. The gospel is not legislation. Many churches have politics and wave them around like a banner that often distracts and divides uh, divides people from the true gospel of Jesus. And this is important to know that when we step into the mission, it's not about how many people can we get signed up to some political party or how many people we can get to pass a certain bill. The mission is the gospel. That's something we need to protect or we will be distracted John 4, 4, he goes on to say, now he had to go through Samaria. These are a group of despised people the Jewish people didn't like. The Samaritans were a mixed race of people between the Babylonians, Iraq, though it is now Iraq, the Arabian type people and Jewish people. They had mixed children. They were called the Samaritans. This, these true blood Jewish people, they, they didn't like this mixed race of people. They were very prejudiced So when it came time to pass through Samaria, they're like, Jesus, don't even go in that town. Just being in that town will corrupt a holy man like you, they thought. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, verse 6, and Jacob's well was there. They had Jesus stay on the outside of town, and they decided to go in and find some food. Jesus used to out here by the well. So Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said, will you give me a drink? And as the disciples had gone into town to buy some food, they didn't want him to be around the likes of those type of people. And I want you to realize this. Jesus totally disregards racial prejudices. He totally breaks every cultural prejudice and stereotypes. In fact, in the stories that Jesus told, he often used minorities like the Samaritans as the heroes of the story. I want you to write this down, that our mission is not about color or culture. It's not about dividing groups. It's not about, it's not about them and us or, or, or who is right and who's wrong when it comes to the culture wars. The mission is about reaching out to people that challenge our culture and our comfort. People we would not usually hang out with. I want you to hear this. Racism 
is a sin. Prejudice is a sin. The mission of Jesus is for everyone. And if you have a problem with people of other races, then you're going to hate heaven. You're going to hate it. Because the Bible describes heaven as a place where every tribe and every tongue and every nation makes some noise together and they are arm in arm. In fact, in the second chapter of Acts, we often think of that falling of the Holy Spirit and people emphasize that speaking in tongues part and all that. But what they miss is that the purpose of the tongues was to draw the races together at that day. See, even the gifts of the Holy Spirit were meant to draw us together in unity regardless of our race. John 4, 9 through 26, he begins to pour out his message to this woman and how Jesus is for everyone. And here at Living Way, everyone is welcome. Everyone that walks in, we are to love. And he begins to tell her her life story and how she has been the type of woman who struggled with relationships and bounced around with different men. She had lived uh, with several different men that were not her husband. And Jesus says, and the man you're living with now, well, uh, he's not your husband either. And he says, what you've been looking for your whole life, what you've been seeking for your whole life, it's me. It's the Messiah. And John 4, 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, talking about the well, he says, well, they're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give them, me, he says, will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And her eyes were open. You know, what he's about to say here is he's about to lay out something real important. There's two things. What are two things that we can't live without in our life? Water and what else? Uh, well, air, yeah. Food and water, necessities in life. Yeah, air is a big one. Yeah, we can't live in space. Um, <laughs> necessities of life are laid out here in food and water. Food, what his disciples went looking for, and water, what she is looking for. Life's basic needs. This is what he says in verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to this woman. See, not only was was she a Samaritan, but she was a woman. And he was a rabbi. He was a very respected teacher. and, And men just don't talk to women, and especially Samaritan women. He broke Racial barriers and he broke uh, barriers between men and women. He gave women deep respect and and he treated them uh, as equals in the kingdom. And he says this, uh, but no one asked, uh, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Man, they were so snobby. They didn't even want to, they didn't even talk to her. He's standing there talking to her. The disciples arrive and they're like, They didn't even talk to her. They didn't even look at her. Man, just like how some Christians can be, isn't it? Look at the way they were dressed. Look at that person. I know about them. And they, you know, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Just don't talk to her. Eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. He told the woman, I have drink that will make you never go thirsty. Men, he says, disciples, uh, I know the kind of food that that you want to give me. That's fine. But I have greater food. And he said, then his disciples said, well, could someone have brought him some food? They're like, they're totally disengaged, right? He said, man, I'm talking about spiritual food. Did somebody bring him some food? He says, my food, Jesus said, I want, if you got your Bible, circle this. My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish his work. You see, this journey of life that we are on, 
the things that we invest all our energies in, the necessities, the things we think we need in life, Jesus says, water's fine, but you'll still be thirsty. Food is fine, but you'll still be hungry. You can get that car or that house, but eventually it will break and you'll need to buy another. Those kids will bring you happiness, but one day they'll move away. There's everything in this life, everything you think you need is trumped by Jesus and the mission of God. Write this down, number four. The mission is not about filling our needs. Jesus is telling us that of all the things you treasure and think you need, God is greater and his mission is greater. More important than filling our belly, fulfilling our dreams, getting sleep, keeping a schedule, competing goals, pursuing a plan. Jesus says, I override it all. Live on me. I am your bread. I am your water. Follow me. Tell the world my will is an adventure. If you will embrace my life for you, it is an adventure filled with purpose and excitement. Jesus said, my food, my satisfaction is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his word. Maybe you heard that song by the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. I started too high, didn't I? (laughs) And then he goes, but I try. And I try, and I try, and I try, I can't get, no. oh, he's like having a, a, some sort of seizure when he sings, I can't get, no, you know, if you know who the Rolling Stones are, that's Mick Jagger, and it's like, well, you might, if you didn't walk like that, you might get some satisfaction, I don't know, but there's this sense that we go through life, and we, we just see, we're so unsatisfied, and we try, And we try, and we try, but Jesus says, my satisfaction, my food, is the will of the Father, is to do his will. And I love this, because where does true satisfaction come from? It comes from living the mission of God. You will never be satisfied until you walk in God's will. Unhappy and unfulfilled Christians, I talk to them all the time. They don't understand the true joy and satisfaction is living out the work of the Father. Some say, well, there's got to be more to life than this. There is. There is more to life than this. It's the mission. It's the mission of God. And very, very few Christians embrace the mission. In fact, most Christians rely on their church or their pastor or their youth pastor or somebody else or some event to be the mission for them. Now, we can join arms and we can do the mission together, but I've never, I was never called to replace your part in the mission. And you can bring everybody you can to church, but you will never feel satisfied until you embrace the mission. Because our food is to do the will of the Father. And this is what Jesus says in 435. Don't you have a saying? The very next verse, this is when he says that. He says, don't you have a verse? Still four more months until harvest. I'm telling you, open your eyes. Look to the fields. They're ripe. The mission is urgent. I want you to write this down. Number five is that the mission is not about good intentions or taking the easy way. He said he refers to the mission in farming terms. And I I don't know about you, but I've been in the cornfields of Michigan before. When I was a teenager, you've heard me say this before, I detasseled corn 
uh, for summer work. I would go to Michigan for the summer and live in a camper trailer. And we'd get up at 6 in the morning and we'd work till 6 at night. We'd wear raincoats in the morning because the corn was over our heads and we were drenched wet. And we went down the aisles of hundreds of acres and pulled the tassels off the corn. By around noon, we went down to shorts and shirts because it got really hot. And by the afternoon, these corn shucks were just cutting our skin because it was so dry. And I tell you, uh, it was laborious, hard, sweaty work. And with that, Jesus says, the laborers, he says, the laborers are who we are. Two guess what's here. Guess what? The labor is great. Farmers know that the crop doesn't just jump in the basket. It's an early, laborious, sweaty, frustrating work. But if it's done right, the harvest is plentiful. Let me tell you something. What we do here each week on Sunday is mission work. What we do right here is harvest work. We come early. Man, we're on time, right? We're serving. Sometimes we're staying late. Uh, it's not always easy. It's sweaty. It's laborious. It can be frustrating. But if it's done right, mm, The harvest is plentiful. Guys, what we do here is harvest work. Number two, guess what? Not only is the harvest great, uh, the labor is great, but the harvest is great. Sunday is not a checklist or a gold star day. This is mission. This is telling and reaching out those that will come and see and hear. This is important. What happens here and what you do on Monday, what you do on Tuesday, this mission we're on, not only is the labor great, not only can it be hard, but it's also because the harvest is great. He goes on to say this, just as the disciples were walking up, the woman's eyes were open in John four twenty eight. Then leaving her jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, first of all, she embraced Jesus. She left her jar. She left her plans of the day. She left her agenda. It was not important anymore. And as she left to tell her world about Jesus, she left her jar and she said to the people, come, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way towards him. Verse 28 is the mission illustrated. It's meet Jesus, leave things behind, urgently tell the world. That is the story of every true follower of Christ. Meet Jesus, leave a lot of things behind, and urgently tell everyone you know about Jesus. Jesus' urgent mission for us flies in the face of our schedules, plans, career, and future. Write this down. These are some things that we need to understand about this mission possible is that the mission supersedes all other moments. The mission super... Now, the greatest moments of my life, I want you to think about yours. Uh, Number one greatest moment of my life, other than what I'm about to talk about, is my marriage. I love my wedding day. Uh, I remember it so, so clear. I remember how I proposed to my wife so clearly. I remember dating. I was telling Nicole yesterday, I remember one day how we were dating for like two months and she broke up with me and I was crushed. And I would look at her hand going, I'm never going to hold that hand again. <laughs> and and uh, she, was, she said she was just testing me, but I think she was just confused because um, we were just teenagers I tell you, but by the, by the time I walked that aisle with my wife, you know, I tried to sing a song and I ruined it. You know, I spent three months only to cry through the whole thing. It was a disaster. I could have practiced like 20 minutes before it would have been the same song if I, if I didn't know it. It 
it was horrible and lovely at the same time. I love my marriage. I love my wife. Uh, one of the greatest, and second greatest moment of my life that I, comes to mind is the day or the days that my kids were born. Man, when when they came out, <laughs> it was <laughs> to give you a visual there. I tell you, I just remember crying. My wife looked more beautiful than she ever looked. My my this, this gooey child was beautiful. Oh, it was so beautiful. And the cries were like kittens, you know, for a while. <laughs> it was beautiful. And I just remember it. It was so, so, so deeply. Uh, those are moments. But even greater than those, the greatest day of my life is the day that I met Jesus. And the moment Jesus came in, uh, into my life supersedes all others. And now Jesus says the mission supersedes all other pursuits. This is what he says in Matthew 8. He says, Jesus even told the people that the mission may not include, uh, may even include not knowing where you're going and where you're going to stay. You see, the no factor for your future is trade out for the trust factor of trusting in God. And sometimes the mission is more valuable than our comfort. Sometimes it's more valuable than our knowing. I choose the cross over comfort. I want you to write this down, is that the mission turns our mundane moments into purpose. And this is big because this woman, when she met Jesus, she dropped everything and she urgently runs back to tell her friends and her family, not the next town. She didn't like drop everything and go over to Judea or to Damascus or Jordan or some other. She went back to her realm of influence her people, her town, the people she knew. And see, the mission is not about what we know. Sometimes it's more about who we know, wherever we are. Jesus turns every mundane moment into a mission moment. For instance, that work, that that job that you just hate, man, that's a mission moment. I believe that God puts you on that place of, of, of employment because he called you to be a missionary there. I believe that neighborhood that you're in is because not because the deal got closed or they accept your offer. It's because God wanted you in that neighborhood. Those apartments you live in, it may be a season right now, but I think it's a season that God put you in so that you can be a missionary at that place. You know, your family is a place of need and you're like, God, why'd you give me my family? I tell you why, because you are a missionary to the people in your family. And when you embrace this mission, then the mundane moments of life become filled with purpose. And all of a sudden, clocking in means a day of being Jesus in this factory, a day of being Jesus in this classroom, an opportunity to be Christ at this campus. You see, in Christ, the mission turns our mundane moments into purpose. And you don't have to move to Mexico to be in mission, though that might be what God has for you. The mission begins right now. You are right now in that mission. Write this down. The mission is something we do together. It's something we both have a part to play in. There's two parts to the mission. There's the come and see. She said, hey, come and see. Come and I'm going to tell you about Jesus. He told me everything. Let me tell you everything I know. It's not a whole lot, but I can tell you what he did to me and the things that I know about him. Come and see. There's the come and see. That's you at work or in your family, in your home, in your neighborhood, places I'll never go. And then the people... They went and saw him, and the second part is the go and tell. It's the come and see and the go and tell. You see, verse 29, she says, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. 
Could this be the Messiah that's living the mission in her daily life? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. That's people coming to a place where they're going to have an opportunity to meet or hear Jesus. And that might even be illustrated through church. So for instance, you have your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday mission. That's the go and tell. And then Sunday, it's the come and see. See, we have a role in this together. We have a role in the mission together. Sunday is here to equip you, to empower you, to ignite in you the mission and to help people discover Jesus, to work together here and out there. I want you to write this down. Jesus is ultimately responsible for the outcome of the mission. And this is the big one. It's not up to you to close the deal. This is what it says. This Jesus continuing in John 4. He says, after She did this. This is what he says. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. Just open your eyes. Just look at the field. I want you to think of your campus right now. I want you to think of your neighborhood. I want you to think of your family. Uh, I want you to think about your workplace. He says, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. He said, man, you have a part in the mission of God. He says that that the father is the one who ultimately is the seed sower and reaper. You're just a laborer. You're just the one who gets to, to be a part of his plan. He says, man... It's not up to you to win your friend, your family, your neighbors, your cousin, your sister, your brother, anybody to Christ. It's you who have been called to go and tell and invite people to come and see. And it's you who are to tell your story of how Christ changed your life and to be ready to give an answer to those that want to know about the hope that's in you. And he says, thus the saying goes, one sows and other reaps is true. And I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. He's talking about himself and the prophets before others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of the labor. He says, man, some sow, some reap. You know, you have that friend at work you've been trying to reach forever, right? Some of you have actually been being missional out there and you're trying to tell your friend about Christ and you're just, you know what? You're not seeing much fruit come out of that, but you're just sowing seed, man. You're just, you're just dropping seed in their heart. You're just hoping that God's word will come alive in them. And you know what? That's your part. You may never reap that harvest, but somebody, Somebody in their future may be the one who befriends them and meets them at a point of desperate need and reaps that harvest. And they're going to go, you know what? I had that friend that had been trying to tell me about Christ all these years. And that seed has been trying to poke through my heart. And this was the moment that it happened. See, some sow, some reap. And sometimes you're going to reap what others have sowed. And sometimes you're just going to sow and somebody else is going to reap it. We are to reap it by loving others and serving others and, 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 and telling others. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's responsible for the actual harvest. What a relief. Stop trying to save people and just be Christ to them and love on them and point them to the good news of the gospel. And if they are interested, walk with them to that place of repentance. See, I've got this can here because I want you to realize, I'll take this off. I think it's louder without it. See, the Bible tells us that life is a vapor. James 4.14 says life is a vapor and then boom, it's a mist and then we're dead. How encouraging is that? Psalm 144 verse four says, man is like a breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. See, this in the, in the face of eternity, this is our life. That's your, that's your life, and it's over. 
That's your life and it's over. That's your life and it's over. And every time you hear that, somebody's life is over. Somebody's life is over. Another life is over. Another life has not heard. Another life has not been told. Another life has never been given the chance. Who will tell them? Who will go? Life is fleeting. Jesus says the harvest is ripe. And if you, you know what happens when you don't reap a harvest? They die on the vine. He's referring, by the way, not to wheat fields, but he's referring to vineyards. And when you don't reap the harvest of the vine, the grapes shrivel and die, and they're gathered and burned. And he says, life is short, and it's urgent. This mission supersedes all other missions. He says, you know, some people you've heard said can wait a year. Well, I'll wait till my schedule clears. I'll wait when bills are paid, after school is over, when my family is all worked out. Jesus says people are dying on the vine. Life is fleeting. The magnitude of the mission is ever before us. I want to ask you a question. He says, look to the fields. This is the question I want you to ask yourself. Can you see the harvest? Can you see the harvest? Can, I mean... Can you visualize those that are dying on the vine? John 4, 35, he goes on, he says, don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest? He says, maybe I'll do it later. We got all the time in the world. He says, but I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. He says, look around you. They are ripe for harvest. They are ready. They're waiting. It's as if Jesus was saying, if only you could see what I see. We're so often focused on our self-interest and we miss the harvest before us. We miss the hurting, the lonely, the confused, the bound, the abused, the stressed, the abandoned, the addicted, the hungry. People in our city, people on our street, people in our class, people in our family, people in our world. They appear full, but they are urgently and, 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 and quickly praying, God, if you're out there, if there's anyone at all, They're urgently empty and urgently calling for help. In Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Here's a little story. Healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, when he saw the hurt, the pain, the confusion, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Man, that's the people at your work. That's the people at your school. That's the people in your class. That's the people in this room. Some of you are lost and helpless and are like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So there are few people, there are few followers, there are few disciples that will actually open their eyes to see. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the harvest field. I want to wrap up the Samaritan story. Let's go back to John chapter 4. Back to the Samaritan woman. Look what happened. She went and told her friends about Christ, and this is what happened. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him. That's Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Go and tell. That's the daily life. So the Samaritans came to him. That's to come and see. They urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. 
And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. People meet Jesus. Lives are changed forever. Mission accomplished. That is the mission that we have been given, granted, commanded, turning everything and trading everything we have, every comfort, every plan for the mission. And you might ask, can anybody really do that? Can we really let go of everything for the mission? Again, God's not telling you to quit your job to be, to be the mission. He's saying, be the mission at your job. He's not saying for you to leave your family and to, to be a part of the mission. He's saying, man, be the mission right where you are. Some of you might be called to go to South America or Mexico or the Ukraine or wherever. He might call you around the world to Africa. He might call you. But before he calls you across the sea, he's going to call you across the street. And it's time to be that mission where you are. Last verse I want to read in Luke 18, verse 26. It says, those who heard this asked Jesus, well, then who can be saved? Who can really embrace leaving everything for Christ? Seems impossible. Seems it costs more than anybody can really give. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. This, this mission is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left everything. We've left all that we had to follow you. What are we going to get out of this? Jesus said, truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left his home or his wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Some might say, well, that doesn't sound right because all but of all the 12 disciples, only one of them lived to be an old man. 11 of them were put to death. Most of them were abused and beaten and lived a life of poverty and pain and struggle as they shared the gospel with the world. How is that a fulfillment? How is that a reward? How is it that when we give everything for the gospel, we seem to get back heartache and pain and persecution and trouble? How is that reward? Jesus says, you know what? I'll tell you why. He says, lift your eyes up. Can I get one of you to go talk? Thank you, Stan. Let's see if I can work this song into the message. Jesus said, lift your eyes up. He says, look, people who embrace Jesus says, look, your reward is walking right at you. He says, the reward are people and eternal life to come. So some of you, you're waiting for a reward when the reward is the harvest of changed lives. That is your reward. And it's greater than any possession this world has to offer. So when I ask you, where do we start living this mission? I'm going to end with this. Uh, and that is, number one, here's what you can do. Look at the screen. Things you can do to start living the mission is be Jesus everywhere you are. Love like Jesus. Reflect Jesus. Care like Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit convict you and give you compassion for the hurting, the broken, those that are in need, the poor, the sick, the dying, those that have, of, of all ages, of all races, of all colors. Be Jesus everywhere you are. Second thing you could do is start telling people in your realm of influence about Jesus. Right now, start telling people about the realm and the love of Jesus in your realm. Be a participator in the Sunday mission. That's number three. Move beyond spectatorship. Trade your Sunday attendance for the mission. Stop filling a seat. Stop being a spectator and be a participator 
in our weekly mission event. The reality is, is more people frequent the farm than work it. So it's time to get your overalls on and hit the field. And the last thing is become a part of the worldwide mission of God. Connect with those whose heart breaks for the world. If your heart has never broken over the plight of another, pray God reveals to you who he has equipped and connect and join with them. Guys like Tynan and Lydia. Maybe you'll never have a chance to go to Mexico. Well, they're going to go in your name. They're going to go as a part of your family. They're going to go as, we are as a church going to pray about our involvement on how we can support them as, as missionaries. And we can all be a part of that together. Maybe it's not with, with the world indigenous. Maybe it's with another group. Maybe it's with some of the other organizations that we connect with. But it's time for you to become a part of the worldwide mission of God. So I challenge you, follower of Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, trade in the mundane moments of life for a life of adventure and mission. You are crafted and saved for this purpose. You are a person of mission. You are a missionary. Everybody, if you're a Christian, say, I'm a missionary. That's what you are. You have been given a mission. Ways that your family can be missional. Well, International Justice Mission, Wycliffe Bible Translators, Compassion International, Samaritan's Purse, Local Missions, Union Gospel Mission, running teams, plugging into local events. There's ways that you can get involved. These are on our website. Some of our church's missional outreaches. Uh, Sunday morning right here, this weekend is a mission event. Maybe bilingual prison ministry is a way that you can be involved with monthly trips or small groups. Uh, um, men's discipleship groups like Blood In and Blood Out. Jonathan's Place helping and, and uh, caring for those kids that are in foster homes. A friendship house with food and clothing and volunteering and local drives. Uh, youth outreach and young life ministry, plugging in with student campus ministries, uh, mission support such as indigenous mission, uh, missions uh, or Hope Africa or Mission of Hope in Haiti. Uh, ARC, the mission organization we're part of, plants churches in America and around the world. And we have special events like our backpack drive, Saxy Fall Fest this Saturday, uh, Halloween homes, which I'm going to talk about next week, our block parties, our Thanksgiving meals, Christmas and, and inmate outreaches for those that are in prison. Guys, listen, there are opportunities for you to be a missionary. Don't put it on the back burner. It's what you live and breathe for. It's why you are alive. And if you're not a Christian, I challenge you to make a trade as well today. The good news is the greatest trade of all. Trading our sin for his righteousness. Because when you trade your life, he gives you a new life. A life of hope, purpose, and direction, and meaning, and peace, brings peace to the storms of your life in the midst of them. So I want to challenge you. Life is fleeting. Let's make a trade. Let's trade up today. Let's trade up for something better. Stop driving that clunker of a mission. Trade it in for something beautiful, something meaningful. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. that you've called us to mission. God, I pray that you'd help us to embrace that. 
to live that. God, that we wouldn't take it lightly. God, that we wouldn't look at this as just a, a pep rally message. But God, this is a reminder of the mission that we sometimes neglect and forget. The mission to tell the world the life-changing news of Jesus. God, if there's anyone here that is still trying to figure out who you are, God, I pray that they would make the trade today. Their life for yours. Their sin for your righteousness. Their confusion for your peace. Why don't you just take a moment and say, Jesus, here's my life. If you're a follower of Christ or someone who's seeking Christ, make this your prayer. Father, here's my life. Fill me with a sense of meaning and purpose. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I trade out my life for your life. Replace my mission with your mission. God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, I thank you, Lord, that life makes sense in your hands, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.